you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. In chat is Dr. Michael Pakaluk and, or Pakaluk, and his book is Mary's Voice According to the Gospel of John. Uh, good morning to you, sir. Thank you for being on our program, and I'm sure I butchered your name pretty well there. Good morning, Joe. That's fine. I mean, I say Pakaluk. It doesn't really matter. Pakaluk. Uh, thank you for correcting me. Pakaluk. I'm going to make sure I say it correct now. So, Pakaluk. Uh, now, you seem to be a man of great talent and many uh, and varied backgrounds here. You're a professor at the Bush School of Business at the Catholic University of America. You big into philosophy, ancient philosophy at that, so that's interesting. You translate books of the Bible. That's interesting. And I've heard you comment on economics, too. And you make cocktails, and you're well known for it. So, wow, <laughs> you are uh, the Renaissance man if I've ever seen one. So, again, good morning to you. Thank you for being on with us. Good morning. Um, it's a real pleasure. Let's talk about the book, Mary's Voice According to the Gospel of John. Now, that is a striking title uh, to those that uh, study Scripture, read Scripture quite a bit. Tell us about this book, and what, why did you write it? Well, it's Mary's voice in the gospel, according to John. So Mary's voice in John's gospel, you could say. Okay. And it's, um, well, you know, I'm kind of on a project uh, of translating all four gospels, and that arises out of the fact that I, I read the New Testament Greek every morning, and wow. I see things there, and I've wanted to share what I see with uh, people. And so I began with the Gospel of Mark in a book called The Memoirs of St. Peter, and, and in that book, the thesis of the book was after the fact that I became convinced of the early church's view that uh, Mark was a kind of transcriber of the preaching of St. Peter, and I tried to render the translation, which is highly, highly accurate translation, not a paraphrased translation, but in such a way as to kind of convey a sense of Peter actually speaking out loud. Mm. And I think the translation is, is kind of neat because it does that. In the Gospel of John, I turned to John next because it's so different from Mark. I mean, everybody recognizes that John is a distinctive gospel. But, but there I was led by an idea at the start, and it really came from a poem of Robert Frost, which I encountered. It was about Eve um, in the Garden of Eden singing, and her song went up into the air and mixed with the songs of birds, so that even today, if we listen carefully, we can hear Mary's voice in the song of birds, which I thought was just such a beautiful image. I was thinking, well, could the same be true of the Gospels? I mean, can we hear Mary's voice mixed with the with the writing of the Gospels? And John was kind of the obvious choice to test that hypothesis because uh, Jesus gave Mary to John as his mother from the cross and John to her as his son. And then by the tradition, you know, apparently she lived with him for maybe as many as 30 years. They moved to a house in Ephesus together. Uh, he was preaching the Gospel the whole time. Now, I don't know about you, but if I stayed one day with Mary, I'm pretty sure that would change how I ex explain the life of Jesus to other people, um, you know, 30 years, right? So then, the, so the, the idea then is go through the Gospel of John carefully and see if you can see signs of, a, of no, not Mary writing it or, 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 you know, overriding John, but be they became of one mind and of one heart. And so can you see Mary's heart also in the Gospel of John? That's my question. That's a fascinating thought, actually. And, and you know, if I, had to, if I had the opportunity to go on pilgrimage, it would be hard. I've said this before many times, actually, because we give out pilgrimages to the Holy Land uh, four times a year at the Guadalupe Radio Network. And if I could win one of those, I think I would rather – this is crazy, but I think I would rather go to the house in Ephesus than <laughs> even over all of the incredibleness and awesomeness in the Holy Land – 
Uh, I know that's a that's a hard thing to believe, but it seems it would be something super special to be in the home that she lived in in a nor- sort of a normal air quotes uh, life with the Apostle John. I, and we have do we have any data about that life uh, that they lived together there? Um, I've never come across it if, it if there is, and it just fascinates me to contemplate what it was like to live with the Blessed Mother for so long. You know, I feel the same as you. I actually didn't know about this house until I started writing this book. And, you know, apparently you know, mystics have seen scenes of that life. So you asked me about, you know, do we know about it? Well, um, there are some uh, private revelations to nis- mystics, which, which have some details of that, but it's kind of a hidden life. But popes have encouraged pilgrimage to that house, and I agree, it's a it's a special thing, and it's in it's in Turkey. It would be really keen to. I've got I, I was blessed with a pilgrimage to the whole a gift of pilgrimage to the Holy Land last year, and and that's kind of close to the top of my list too. I'd have to say, Ephesus. <laughs> so, what were your highlights from the Holy Land? Was it uh, Our Lady's home in Nazareth, or was it uh, the cave in uh, in Bethlehem, or, or what? Or what was your favorite? I think the Sea of Galilee. So the maybe maybe Capernaum and the and the the excavation of the synagogue. If you've been there, you know in the ground there's a tiny little synagogue that was Jesus actually stood in there and that's where he taught. Um, so I think that was really for for me. And then being by the sea and seeing where Jesus grew up, because see he was a boy and he loved being outside and he would wander around and he'd fish and and uh, that usefulness comes through in the Gospel of John. So to be in the place where Jesus grew up as a boy, to me, that was the most, most great, the greatest thing of it. Now, Professor Pakalak, one of our listeners, Christopher, wants to know, what are the differences um, specifically between Luke and John's relationship to Mary, perhaps between all of the Gospel writers? What have you noticed? You might say Luke is explicit. I mean, Luke is kind of the first historian of the church. Luke's the first uh, member. I mean, John Paul II said that the Second Vatican Council was a matter of the church coming to a better understanding of itself. I mean, you see that project already in Gospel of Luke. He's he's documenting what other people have been preaching. So he you know, he went and he took um, you know a, a deposition from from Mary, as it were. I mean, he he asked her questions and he. He got her reports, and no, no doubt his uh, his narrative, his infancy narrative, derives from Mary. But for John, it's something different. It's something very implicit. It's it's something very close that's not explicit. So take for example the prologue in the Gospel of John. Well, think about it. That plays the same role in the Gospel of John as the infancy narratives do in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. So it's kind of the infancy narrative of the Gospel of John, and it talks about the eternal generation of the Word. Uh, the generation of the word as as regards his divinity, whereas Matthew and, and Luke are talking about the humanity of our Lord. So, and this is something Mary would have would have meditated on for nine months of pregnancy. That's something that it comes as much you might want to say comes. You, it, that's just as plausible reflection uh, of Mary as it is John the great mystic that he was. We're talking with uh, Dr. Michael Puckaluck, and his book is called Mary's Voice, um, or <laughs> I'm going to get it right before the end of this. Puckaluck, thank you, it's Puckaluck. Mary's Voice in the Gospel According to John, a new translation with commentary. If you want penance, just call in the program. I'll mispronounce your name many times mm-hmm. on the air. It's great. Uh, Mary's Voice in the Gospel According to John, a new translation with commentary is our conversation. It's a fascinating thought to, to think about how Our Lady might have influenced the Apostle John himself in his famous and incredible gospel. So we're going to have that conversation uh, uh, as well on the other side of this short little break. It's a, again, I just find this an utterly fascinating thought about how Our Lady might have influenced 
the life of St. John, and his, or rather his gospel, and how that affected the church, the early church. And you know, I, you were before the break, you were talking about, um, especially like uh, the, the sort of the, the prologue to John's gospel, and how there's so much great typology going on there, parallels with the book of Genesis in particular, and we look at... Uh, the wedding feast at Cana as sort of a new wedding feast from the, the from the Garden of, of of Eden, and it's just these beautiful images and how the Holy Spirit would have um, overshadowed Our Lady in Luke's Gospel, and yet we see that same imagery of the overshadowing of the Holy Holy Spirit upon uh, upon um, in in the Gospel, especially in, in John chapter three with baptism. I don't know, it's just it's utterly fascinating. How much time do you? I'm like. It, where are the greatest and most and the, the strongest segments of John's gospel where you could say it's very it looks as though Mary really had an influence here? Well, I kind of resist doing that in the book because I don't think the evidence is, is of that character. I think it's really subtle, and you know, it's really as John's gospel he wrote it. He probably wrote it thirty years after Mary's passing, or twenty you know twenty or thirty years after her passing. So I, I think rather in terms of what Newman calls the accumulation of probabilities, and I do it in this way, I say, look, let's assume robustly that Mary was a, a strong influence in John, that they have one mind, one heart, um, and, and John is writing this from that outlook, that shared outlook with Mary. Then what is not surprising on that hypothesis? What would you ascribe to this shared outlook? And if you go through the Gospel of John, you know, every chapter you get four, five, six, things like that. And but the, over time it accumulates and it looks overwhelming. But I don't think you can ever point to one thing and say, this is the only way you can explain this is by Mary's influence. I don't think that's possible. Um, and so it, you really do need this more subtle method. But I'll give you an example of the sort of thing that you're asking. Well, look, here's, some, here's something. In the Gospel of John, childbirth is really an important theme. Right. So Nicodemus asks, how is it possible for a grown man, an old man, to climb up into his mother's womb again and be born, right? <laughs> and then our Lord likens uh, the, res the passion to a woman going through childbirth. And, uh, and then there's that interesting scene, it's in John 7, where Jesus is in the temple and he, he kind of shouts out, you know, if, if anyone who you know, believes in me, streams of rivers of flowing water, Will, will come streaming from his, and then you say, well, what is it? And, you know, the translations render heart, inmost being. Um, the Greek word is koilia. That's the same word that's used for the womb. So blessed is the fruit of your womb. It's koilia. So it's, you know, it's actually a kind of a maternal term. It, it, has, it refers to, you know, literally it meant originally belly, but it came to be used mainly for the womb. So, and that doesn't get rendered in most translations. I, I can't remember what I, how I rendered it, but um, in the commentary, I do point out this is standardly the word for the womb. Now, Professor, there's you had a couple uh, in your book. I was noticing you mentioned that you were reading uh, Blessed Aunt Catherine Emmerich and some other visionaries on the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Did you ever come across or read uh, Venerable Mary of Agreda's uh, Mystical City of God? No, I haven't. In fact, if you could send me that information in chat, I'd be really interested in following up on it. Awesome. I'd be, yeah, that's one of my favorite. I find her uh, visions of um, of the life of Our Lady to be more uh, credible than Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich's. Uh, the reason for that, for me anyways, is that the, um, the visions of Venerable uh, Mary of Agreda seem to be dictated to her, told her exactly what to write down, whereas Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, it seems like she's... Uh,
he thinks of the visions uh so that's one thing and then also the uh the our, uh, the university of the louvain uh did a study of venerable mary of Agreda's book it was like wow this is amazing from a theological standpoint so mm -hmm. i thought that was very interesting um another thing that i had a question for was how has your book been received from the uh from the protestants uh and from uh the the academic community yeah that's a really good question and i don't know the answer to, the, to that yet because it's only been out two weeks so I, I, there's some there's a great review in first things, a great review in the Catholic thing of the book, but um, you know I wrote it as a trade book. It's it has uh, you know good scholarly creds uh, underlying it, but it's designed for the um, you know the ordinary uh, reader, um, a thoughtful reader, surely. But um, you know it's clear and it's accessible book, and. Um, you know, I basically, I'm familiar with redaction criticism, informed criticism, and historical critical study of the Bible, but I, I generally don't find that to be particularly valuable for what I'm interested in. And what I'm interested in is what really happened. And uh, because there's that's all bracketed in that kind of scholarship, as you know, I mean, it kind of proceeds on the assumption we're not going to say what really happened. In fact, we're going to call it all into doubt. So if you're really interested in figuring out what happened, um, then, um, and, and you know, the, there's a kind of a different approach I'm taking in both of my books. It's actually thinking in terms of persons and influences of persons. So I'm really much more drawn towards uh, the studies of the early, um, you know, the synoptic problem that it, that put a lot of stress on an oral tradition. And I, I, I think in an appendix to the book I'm doing on the Gospel of Matthew, I'm going to talk about that, because I think I have something new to say um, by thinking about the oral tradition in terms of the wax tablets that would have been used as kind of written back up the oral tradition. Because um, you know, I think I have pretty good ideas about how many characters you could put on a wax tablet, and that there are ways of reducing the so-called uh, pericopes of our Lord, so that there's a kind of uniformity of the characters on wax tablets. Mm. So that would be the approach that I would go. And then when I start saying something like that, then I might expect someone to strike back, so to speak, from the world of <laughs> world of academics. And now, speaking about the oral tradition, this is something that you also point out in your book, is that this was something that was particular to the women of that time. Whereas we see all the gospel writers were, were men, the influence of women, and particularly Mary, in the early church was, was sort of different. Can you explain? Yeah, so, um, well, just look at the Gospel of John. How many, uh, how many women are in the Gospel of John? You know, the woman at the well, we, the, the mother of the man born blind from birth. You have, you know, Mary uh, and, and the woman anointing our Lord and, and you know, Mary Magdalene. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's, you know, women are basically the main characters in the Gospel of John. Um, and so the, 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 the outlook of the woman has dropped out um, you know this is I'm, I'm not saying anything new Edith Stein said this um, um, other uh, great uh, mystics have, have written about this um, you know Pope Benedict um, the Marian uh, of course it's always there with Mary so uh, but so it's kind of a task not reading the gospel also from, from the woman's point of view Unbelievers often reject religion because it sometimes causes conflict. They'll say, science will fly you to the moon, religion will fly you into buildings. Is this a rational basis for rejecting religion? The answer is no, and here's the reason. First, just because something causes conflict doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. For example, many wars have been fought over land. Does this mean we should do away with the right to private property? I don't think so. Second, the objection doesn't specify which religions cause war. 
It may belong to the essence of some religions to spread its message by the sword, and these we should reject, but it doesn't belong to all religions. So, to the question, should I reject religion because it causes conflict? The answer is no. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. Great uh, mystics have written about this. Um, you know, Pope Benedict, um, the Marian. Uh, of course, it's always there with Mary. So, but so it's kind of a task of reading the gospel also from from a woman's point of view, so to speak. And it's a it's a point of view of, of attention to the person, of compassion, of reciprocity, of of receptivity. Um, so, and you know, Joe was saying he'd love to go back to the to the to the uh, house in Ephesus. Well, in a certain sense, that's where the church is. I mean, the church began in a household. The Catholic Church is the extension of a family. It's the extension of the family life in a household. And and, and you don't have a family without a woman. Yeah. Well, one more thing. Uh, I whenever I first picked up your book, I was slightly skeptical at first picking it up because I was like, ah, a new translation of of the Gospel of John is kind of strange. I really like my Dewey Rames. Why am I going to pick up a new translation? But you know, I must say, just the introduction of your book uh, was the price was worth the price of the book to begin <laughs> with because uh, it was just so excellent. And one thing that I really uh, thought that was interesting, and I like you to speak on, is you were talking about. Um, how a lot of the modern theologians, a lot of the feminist theologians, they like to invent or impose or uh, project feminist ideologies into the Gospels. Um, but he said, you were saying how that's not necessary because there's an authentic femininity in the Gospels that is uh, that is taken right there from the influence of our Blessed Mother. Uh, could you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, so that's that's a really um, great point. So that that's what you know. I went to Harvard. I used to attend lectures at Harvard Divinity School, where you'd have professors saying that the the real author of the Gospel of Mark is a woman, and uh, you know all kinds of wacky and crazy stuff that they would do, um, and all of it involves distorting. But I'm all about getting things as clear and straight and direct as possible. That's what my translation tries to do, and then I try to think very concretely about you know how this text actually was written and the persons behind it and so there's no invention going on there and then when you don't invent you find well you know already there's there's so much that's rich there as you said so um you know take the theme of everlasting life in the gospel of john uh, it, it is striking that it's it's more prominent um than the other um uh, gospels and of course the resurrection of lazarus is a huge thing in the gospel john's not even in the other gospels I wanted to say, well, where did this, you know, why is this theme so prominent? Uh, when I was writing an appendix to this book, um, you know, you said the introduction was great, and, I, and thanks. I think it is really a good introduction. And But it also has a great appendix, which is a refutation of David Bentley Hart's view, views about everlasting life. And we don't need to get into what those views are, but they've been very influential, and they tend to fuel a, a view called universalism, which is that everybody goes to heaven uh, for sure, no matter what they do in this life, right? Um, so, so there's never any kind of you know, judgment where people are separated out for heaven and hell on his view. 
But um, so I, I think I refute that in the appendix. But after the refutation of that, my, my publisher said, my editor, can you put something in at the end about Mary? Because this is supposed to be, be a book about Mary. Let's not end with David Penley Hart, right? So then I went back and I looked, and, I, and there's this great catechetical address by, by John Paul II, where he says that Mary is the first creature to enter into everlasting life, the everlasting life won by our Lord on the cross. Mm. Uh, because that everlasting life is the resurre- involves the resurrection of the body. Right, so there's, you know, there it is, maybe 60, 65 AD. She is assumed body together with soul into heaven, and is the first one really to enjoy the everlasting life that was that was won for our Lord on the cross. And then he he goes through uh, many uh, early uh, church fathers who who teach about this. And what I did is I collected these together at the appendix to the appendix, so to speak, and pointed out how they correspond to passages and themes in the Gospel of John. Mm. And, you know, the tradition also says the apostles gathered together to witness Our Lady being assumed into heaven. Um, you know, for what, for what it's worth, that's what the tradition says. And John, when he wrote his Gospel, if that's true, would have witnessed the assumption of Mary. Now, do you think you could witness the assumption of Mary and the the entry of the first creature into the eternal life won by the Lord and not make that change the way you write your gospel? Well, that's going to have to do it for Dr. Michael Pakalik. Thank you very much for your time this morning. We're very grateful to you. Praise be to God. Uh, we're going to link to the book, Mary's Voice in the Gospel According to John by Regnery Publishing. Uh, so praise, praise God for this book, and thank you for your time this morning, Doctor. Uh, Father Quan Tran is joining us by phone right now. He has a book out on the imitation of Mary Keys to Growth in Virtue and in Grace by Sophia Institute Press. Good morning to you, Father Quan Tran. Good morning. I'm happy to be with you. Thank you for having me. Uh, praise be to God in all things. Uh, tell me about the book. What what uh, What is this book about? What drove you to write this? I wanted people to understand about grace. Uh, first of all, grace is something you don't just sit back and receive, but it's something you receive and, and work with it. Uh, grace is a gift from God that pushes us to more. He wants us to grow in holiness. He wants us to be his instruments in the world. He wants us to... Um, to, to advance. And so we don't just sit back, but we need to um, to take the grace, open the grace, and then use that grace. And when the more we do that, the more we will grow in holiness. And then I also talk about our Blessed Mother. She is the model of holiness. She is the model of discipleship and perfection. And so I talk about her qualities, how Mary responded perfectly to God's grace um, with her dispositions, with her responses, with her fiat, um, she cooperated fully with God's grace, and so, and so she is full of grace. And um, I wanted all of us to imitate Mary, to learn from our Blessed Mother how we can grow in holiness, how we can grow in perfection and be more pleasing to God by, by responding to grace and by imitating our Blessed Mother. Father, I've read The Imitation of Christ. Was this inspired by that book? Um, not really. Not really. Um this, you know, this was, was mostly, um, you know, just a, a culmination of uh, a lot of spiritual reading, a lot of um, praying, and um, I think that some of it is, I guess you can say, is inspired by that book, but, but not, not that book alone. Now, in this book, you talk about the 12 essential qualities of Mary. Can you list those, or at least uh, maybe you sum those up? What are the 12 essential qualities of Our Lady? Sure. Um, 
I, I first speak about humility, and we, we know that um, for, from the saints and, and from our Blessed Mother herself, that she is she's a humble woman. She refers to herself as the lowly handmaid of the Lord. Mm. And humility, uh, the saints tell us, is the most essential quality if we are to grow in, in the other virtues. And humility is not really putting ourselves down, but it, it's to recognize that the gifts that we have, the good that we can do, they come from God as gifts. So we don't become prideful, but we, we use them for His glory. And then I speak about confidence in God, um, confidence in God, especially during this time. There's so much going on in our world, mm. and we need to... Re- 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 we need to rely on Him, knowing that um, that He loves us and that uh, He will carry us through. And then I speak about the love of God, how our Blessed Mother really loves God and wants to glorify Him in all that she does. Um, and so we, too, can sanctify all of our actions, our, our life, by, by doing everything for, for the greater glory of God. Um, and then I speak about uh, union with God, how important it is how important it is to be united to to God in in love, in mind, in heart, and soul, that union that we're made for, that intimacy that we're made for, and uh, how important that is. Uh, The next is a gratitude, Um, and and I I say about gratitude to God. You know, our society speaks about gratitude in general, but never speak about God. Um, but, But all good things come from God as gifts. Even if you know your neighbor did something good for you, yeah, it's, it's really through God that that uh, that enabled them to, to do that good for you, that inspired them to do that good for you. So ultimately, we can we can trace all the source of all our blessings back to the Lord, and then joy. You know, our Blessed Mother was so joyful. You know, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So as Christians, we're we're called to this joy, and it's a supernatural joy. It comes from knowing God and His love for us. Uh, the next one is uh, docility to God's will. You know, conforming our will to God's will. That that's what it means uh, to to be perfect, to be holy. And our, our Blessed Mother did that perfectly. Um, and love of neighbor, of course. If we are to love God, we have to love our neighbor. Saint John tells us that, and all the saints tell us that. Um, and then abandonment to divine providence. Um, we need to know that everything is under God's providence. And that he he um, he doesn't nothing happens without his permission. And if it happens, he wants to bring about a greater good. So we need to to understand that and to surrender to his providence. And then we need to practice mortification, um, you know, self denial. That's somewhat of a foreign concept in our society, but that but that's important in order to um, practice self control, to develop self will, and to grow in holiness. And then I speak about um, desire and efforts in holiness. Uh, we need to desire. We need to want to be saints. We need to want to be holy, and we need to put in the effort to, to get there. And then lastly, I speak about the sacraments, how important it is to receive the sacraments frequently and with a proper disposition. I speak about our Blessed Mother um, receiving the Eucharist with this perfect disposition of faith, gratitude, and love. And when we do that, we will grow in grace. That's beautiful. We love our Blessed Mother here. And this has been a particularly difficult year, and even this week has been very difficult in the news. And a lot of people have come to me even personally and said that they're undergoing a crisis of faith. And in your book, you address this. So what would you say to people who are undergoing a crisis of faith, and how would you overcome this? Sure. Um, so we need to know that that, um, that everything is under God's control and that everything happens, um, that He allows to happen to us. So first of all, He gives us free will. 
right? And a lot of times people will abuse that free will. And we, and we see this in our, our world, unfortunately. There's a lot of evil, there's a lot of sin, and, and, and things like that. But he can still bring good even out of those things. St. Paul tells us, you know, all things work for good for those who love God. So even with sin, even with evil, even with bad choices, he can still bring good out of those things. So I think this is a time for us Catholics to step up. Um, you know, people, uh, there's so much evil and sin in the world, it, mm-hmm. so we need more holiness, we need more grace, we need more goodness and truth. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so he's, ca- he's calling on people like you and me right now to step up, to pray more, to, um, to, to speak out more, to, to show goodness and holiness and to, to be his presence in, in the world. And so this is a time to invoke the saints. This is a time to invoke our Blessed Mother. This is a time to, to receive the sacraments and, and, and to bear witness to Christ, um, knowing that he, he will bring good out of this. A lot of times we can't see it, and, and, and we are tested. There's no doubt we are tested right now. But that's how we grow in faith, in, in, in virtue, is, is when we're tested. So receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, fortitude, knowledge, uh, counsel, and uh, and we don't give up. You know, the saints don't give up. It's during hard times and trials that they be, they become stronger. And I know this this is a time that we are being tried, um, and so our faith can 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 grow stronger if we we really trust in the Lord and surrender to His providence. We're talking with Father Quan Tran today about his new book with Sophia Institute Press, The Imitation of Mary. Now, uh, Father, you wrote about something in your book that I've never heard of before: the levels of happiness. Uh, now, a lot of people are not familiar with this. They don't know that there are even distinctions when it comes to happiness. So what, what are these four levels that you write about? Right. Thank you. I, I got this from uh, Father Robert Spitzer. And, um, and so, yeah, there are four levels of happiness. Uh, the first level is the most basic. There, you can say it's the most um, primitive uh, because it, it deals with the sensual pleasures, right, um, um, like yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with that per se because they're they're meant to lead us to God, right? If you, if you're enjoying your cup of coffee this morning, then that's good, um, or breakfast, or so you know, like food, sex, and things like that. Those, those are those are good things that are, that are meant to draw us to God if if we use them in the right way, in, a, in an ordered way. But a lot of people just live just for the the, the sensual pleasures, right? They they get so involved with food and sex and things like that, that, that they forget everything else. Mm-hmm. And, and these things... This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed what happens when people set out to destroy the church? They don't destroy the church, but they manage to wreck everything else. G.K. Chesterton says men who begin to fight the church for the sake of freedom and humanity end up flinging away freedom and humanity if only they may fight the church. The secularists have not managed to destroy divine things, but they have destroyed secular things. Thanks to the war against the church, the world is a mess. We have more disorder, more distress, more discontent than ever before. And that's why we must defend the faith. By defending God's truth, we are defending all truth. By defending the church, we are saving the world. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Planning on shopping online this year for Christmas? Did you know that you can help the Guadalupe Radio Network when you do your Christmas shopping online? 
All you need to do is shop on Amazon Smile and 0.5% of your purchase goes to the GRN. Just go to AmazonSmile.com and select La Promesa Foundation as your nonprofit of choice. La Promesa is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio. It's that simple to give some extra help to the Guadalupe Radio Network during the holiday season. And with food and sex and things like that, that, that they forget everything else. Mm-hmm. And, and these things are, these, these, these are good, but, but they're, they're, they're temporary, they're passing, they're, they're somewhat shallow, you know. And, and, and so we need something more. So that's, so that's the first level. And the second level is the ego. Right. If you do something well, if you accomplish something worthwhile, you, there's a certain sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. Um, and, and, and so that's good. But then if you live mostly on this level one and two, then, and then it becomes somewhat shallow, superficial, uh, competitive, and you still don't really find true peace, true joy. And, and unfortunately, our society lives mostly on the level one and two, you know, the, the, the pleasures of the, the flesh, the senses, and the ego. Um, but but we're made for more. And the third level, I can I would call it altru- altruism, uh, giving back. You know that because we're made in the image and likeness of God, we're made to give of ourselves. And so when we give something back, when we volunteer, when we do good for others, there's a deeper sense of of satisfaction and, and happiness and joy. Um, but uh, and 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 that's good. But even this level is not enough because we know that even. Um, atheists, even non-Christians, can 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 live in, 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 in on this level, and so as Catholics, as Christians, we're called to level four, which is I would call the, uh, the the transcendent level, transcendence or the supernatural level, because we're made for the perfect. We're made for perfect truth, perfect goodness, perfect beauty, perfect being, and so we're made for God. And on this level, it takes. It's, it, it's more difficult to get to this level. It takes time, grace, and, and commitment. Um, but when we reach this level, which Our Lady did, and united to the Lord, we find really true peace and true joy that, that the world cannot give. And this is the peace that, that Jesus says you know, he wants to give us. This is the joy that he wants us to participate in. This is the joy of the Holy Trinity. And, um, and so we should all strive to, to live more on level three and four, uh, rather than one and two, because the more we immerse ourselves in, in one and two, it's going to be diff- more difficult for us to to experience the joy and happiness of levels three and four. That's right. We have about 10 minutes left here in our interview with Father Quan Tran, who wrote The Imitation of Mary. And and that's so true. You hear people saying, I don't need church. Uh, I can be a good person without going to church. But really, what they're missing out on is this overwhelming grace that the Lord offers us. And, and Father Tran, you talk about the four effects of grace that they'll have on your soul. Now, what are people missing out on if they're denying these graces? Right. So, we, you know, we receive graces at baptism, but they lie dormant until we activate them and, and we can increase in them. So one effect is, is healing. Um, you know, we, because, we are, because we are wounded um, by nature, because of original sin, and, and, the, and, the, and personal sin, um, we, we are wounded, so we need to be healed. That's why there's so much evil in the world. That's why there's, there's so much misunderstanding and ignorance and, and, and sin. And so we need healing. And so sin, and grace heals us. It really heals us in a supernatural way. We need that interior spiritual healing. You know, if, if we're sick, physically sick, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of that. We'll go to the doctor or take medication. But, but we are sick spiritually, and so we need to take care of that by grace. Uh, the second thing that grace does is, is it liberates us. It liberates us from the control of sin, um, because 
sin can be very addictive, can be very habitual, as you know, and, and can proliferate and grow. And, um, and so grace liberates us that, liberates us from that so we can truly receive the freedom of the children of God. And grace also empowers us to do things that we cannot do, um, actual grace. And sometimes we need that. Um, we need actual grace to maybe to to to, to, um, to practice courage during this difficult time, uh, to practice faith, um, and and so on. And then so so uh, it, grace empowers us to do things that are beyond our natural ability. And then lastly, grace elevates elevates our human nature to participate with with God's divine nature, and and so that's what we're called to do. Um, and, and we're, we're constantly being transformed if we participate in, in his life and in, in his life of grace. We're called, uh, constantly being made perfect, being conformed to Jesus. And, and that's our true happiness. That's our true vocation. And so we miss out on the graces if we don't respond, if we don't go to church. Uh, we, we don't, you know, we don't grow in grace. Right, Father. So we know that our Lord has just a treasury of graces that he's willing to bestow on us. And in your book, you talk about how devotion to Mary is one way to unleash all this torrent of graces in our lives. And especially in this difficult time when we really need those graces to, to be able to stay strong and keep going. Um, so can you talk about the ways that we can cultivate devotion to Our Lady? Sure. Jesus, you know, Jesus gave us Mary, his own mother, to be our mother because he knows we need her. And this was his last gift on the cross, you know, when he looked to St. John and said, Behold your mother. Basically, St. John represents all of us because we're all his beloved disciples. So he's saying all of us. He's saying, Emily, behold your mother. Joe, behold your mother. Father Tran, behold your mother. Accept her, love her, venerate her, imitate her. And so when we turn to Mary, she can really help us because Mary has given a, um, a significant role to play in God's plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. Not only is she Jesus' mother um, and the spouse of the Holy Spirit and the most perfect daughter of uh, the Father, she's also given to be our mother to help us, to guide us, to intercede for us. And when we have a devotion to our Blessed Mother, she can bring us closer to the Holy Trinity. And, and, we, and as you know, Emily, we need all the help we can get, right? Amen, yes. And uh, we're constantly asking others to pray for us, so why not ask mm-hmm. our Blessed Mother, who is the most powerful of all intercessors? She is in the inner circle, if you will. So, um, so we, yes, so learn the prayers of Mary, you know, the different prayers, especially the rosary. I would recommend mm-hmm. that highly. And also have images of Mary. You know, when, mm-hmm. when I went, went through a conversion or a reconversion, I, I really kind of grew um, in my love for Mary. So have images of Mary throughout your house and, and, and so on. Um, and then um, also um, do a consecration to Mary or consecration to Jesus through Mary. You know, there's Louis de Montfort. There's uh, uh, Father Michael Gately. There's different books out there to help us consecrate ourselves Amen. to Jesus through Mary. And... Um, and also, um, you know, maybe this is not a good time, but when when COVID gets better, when things get better, maybe do a, a pilgrimage to a Marian shrine. You know, yes. there's so many Marian shrines 
in the world and 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 uh, we we can when we go there we can be even more inspired and then read about Mary there's so many books besides mine about our blessed mother you know read more about her and the more we know her the more we will love her and the more we love her the more we will want to grow to be like her and when we do that we will be more pleasing to God Amen. we're talking with Father Quan Tran about his book The Imitation of Mary and uh, it's the keys to growth in virtue and grace it's published by Sophia Institute Press you can if you just go to their website, sophiainstitute.com, uh, you can search for The Imitation of Mary. You'll find that. But we're, we'll post a link to it over on our live video feed at uh, facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time and uh, GRN Online. And Father, real quick, we have about two minutes left in the rest of our conversation with you today. Uh, do you have a do you have a preferred title of Our Lady that you have a, a piety or devotion to? Oh, boy. Um, so, many, so many, so many titles. Um, you know, um, I, I, I really like Our, Our Lady of Lords. Mm. Um, you know, I, I've been there. I don't know if, if you've, you've been there, but that's the day I consecrated myself to Our, Our Lady wow. of Lords. Wow. Praise be to Jesus. Uh, to, 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 to her. And, uh, and, and so, and, and I've been there, and it's such a, it's such a powerful place and uh, spiritual place. And um, there's, you know, there's, it's amazing because it, when you go to Lords, they have these, uh, Evening Eucharistic, uh, there's Eucharistic procession, but also these mm. uh, rosary processions too. Wonderful. And, and people are praying in different languages, um, you know, like uh, throughout. And, and, you show, and you show the unity of the church. You know, everybody Amen. comes together. Everybody knows the, the rosary, and everyone is devoted to our Blessed Mother. Well, so we're going to have to wrap. I, I would say we're going to have to wrap there, right. Father Quantran. Thank you so much for being on and sharing your beautiful book, The Imitation of Mary: Keys to Growth in Virtue and Grace by Sophia Institute Press. We recommend it. Uh, Father, God bless you. God love you. And thank you for being on our show today. Joining us right now via phone is Father Matthias uh, Sasko, the Franciscans of the Immaculate. And we're here to talk about Mary Maximalism. Good morning to you, Father Matthias. Uh, good morning, Ave Maria, to all of you. Praise be to God. We're grateful for your time, Father. You know, I am uh, I am a, a big fan. I, one of my uh, patron saints is Father Colbe, uh, Father Maximilian Colbe. I love Father Colbe. I love reading it, the life of Father Colbe. In fact, Adrian just purchased for me uh, the life of Father Colbe in Nagasaki. I just went through that great book. Really enjoyed it. And uh, one of the struggles in that book uh, that he was going through was his fellow priests that didn't share his love for the Immaculate quite to the degree that he did. And I imagine that the struggle for some Catholics uh, across the church, can we love Our Lady too much? Father Matthias, what would you say? <laughs> well, uh, it's a very good question. Uh, and the answer is, well, we can't love her too much if we love her as God wants us to love her. And that's where really Marian maximalism concentrates itself. How much does God want us to love Our Lady? Where has God placed her in the church and in the economy of grace? So as long as we are recognizing God's work in her and the position, the role, the mission that God has given her, we cannot ever, ever love her too much. So maybe you can help... Uh Describe the role God has placed Our Lady in the order of salvation. Oh, sure. Well, uh, so I'll try to make it as simple as possible. Although I, I can't resist using uh, you know the <laughs> theological authors that have that have contributed here. So 
the role that Our Lady possesses is first given to her by God. So I repeat this because it's never too much to repeat it. It's something that she receives from God. It's not a role that she takes for herself. And this role is best understood if we start with her joint predestination with Christ. I mean, we have to start really uh, at the very beginning. She was... Uh, first off, I'd just like to say um, I did uh, five years in prison in Texas, and thanks to the Guadalupe Radio Network down there and your ministry, there is a lot of us getting back on track. And especially a big thank you to all your donors who donate to the network, and uh, it really helps a lot of us felons find the way and find that the, the Catholic truth and get back on track. So really thank you for that. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you really believe in a secret catching away of the church called the rapture? The pages of your Bible are empty of that type of talk. So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, solid biblical doctrine is time-tested. This rapture idea got its wheels rolling by John Darby in about 1830. I mean, have you heard of a third coming? You know you haven't. Secondly, God's nature. There's no reasonable premise in Scripture, let alone in moral reasoning, for the results of a rapture scenario such as this. A Christian pilot is yanked, raptured, out of his jet, while scores of the remaining passengers who are not Christians violently crash to their death. Meanwhile, said pilot is basking in the presence of God. This is absurd, and believe me, this is preached day in and day out. Thirdly, bad fruit. The preacher at your church says, Tonight, don't you be left in that pew alone, while that person next to you gets raptured straight up into heaven. That, my friend, is folly with no foundation. predestination with Christ. I mean, we have to start really uh, at the very beginning. She was um, married together with Jesus, was jointly predestined, we say, and that's Pope uh, Pius IX, actually. So from all eternity, she was predestined by God to be the mother of Jesus, predestined to be together with him, predestined to uh, be his mother and collaborator. And uh, we express that uh, principle in, in more theological terms uh, when we say that everything that is to be attributed to Christ, all his prerogatives and uh, all his attributes, uh, therefore must be attributed to Our Lady, to Mary, insofar as she is a creature and a woman. So everything that is to be said of Christ by joint predestination is to be said of Mary. But, again, as long as it doesn't require being God or a biological male like Christ is. Now, that's an abstract way to put it. Then we'd have to give examples. I don't know if you want me to go into examples, or I'll give, I'll give, I'll let you speak before I continue. It is a hard topic, right? I mean, I, I'm a convert to the church. I grew up uh, Church of Christ, but mostly just secular paganism, hedonism. Uh, and I remember uh, coming into the Catholic faith, Especially after I, I had uh, a, a mystical encounter and on this wild journey, one of the struggles that I had was on Our Lady. And, and for many, it feels like we almost feel guilty, right? Like if we give Our Lady too much of our time, our focus, our attention, our veneration, then our, we are robbing our Lord uh, of his what's due to him. What would you say to that, Father Matthias? Well, I would uh, I would look at the causes of of that erroneous way of looking at the relationship between our Lord and and Our Lady. 
uh, and nobody, not maybe not everybody falls into these categories, but one of the reasons why we look at our Lord and Our Lady this way is we are raised and, and formed in our society to see almost everything through the lens of some sort of like a class a struggle. It's, you know, <laughs> races fighting against one another, mm. sexes fighting against one another, uh, you know, in the, in the church, vocations fighting against one another, priests versus lady, men versus women, white versus black. So we can't help sometimes but to see that relationship between Our Lord and Our Lady also as a struggle. It's Our Lady that wants to take more from Christ and Christ that resists, and and that's totally not the case. But again, we can sometimes maybe be influenced by that. Next, we don't always have... Um, maybe a, a totally healthy experience of, let's say, family life or just human relationship dynamics. And jealousy is very much a part of our, our human experience. People get jealous when, when, <laughs> when they feel excluded. And, and, uh, and there, is that, there is that human strife, you know, class struggle or not. And, and we uh, project that upon our Lord and Our Lady as one being jealous of the other. If we give Our Lord too much attention, well, then Our Lady kind of feels jealous and, and vice versa. And lastly, just a human condition that we just cannot give our whole and undivided attention to two different people at, at once. And that's something that we struggle with because uh, we'd like to, but we can't. And Maximilian Mary Colby emphasized that it's, it's a limit on just on our human condition. I mean, we'd like to think of our Lord and Our Lady together because theologically they're indissoluble, cannot be separated. And yet, when we pray to one with our whole and undivided attention, we can't pray to the other. So we feel a sense of a certain guilt almost, uh, which we shouldn't equate with guilt. It's just a limit on our, on our human condition. So what do I say to that? I, I think all three are to be kept in mind, and and it's good to zoom out from our own human condition and and remind ourselves of the theological reality that if, if, if Our Lady is the one who leads us to Christ, even if we give her all our attention, imagine being on a highway. If you, I don't know what the highways come from Massachusetts here, but if you take any highway there uh, in, in Texas and you just keep going, it's going to lead you to your destination. So same thing with Our Lady. If we give ourselves to her, she will lead us to our destination. Uh, and likewise, if we look at our Lord, it's from Him that Marian devotion comes. He is the one that, again, chooses to be incarnate of her, chooses to endow her with her grace, chooses to respond to her intercession at the wedding feast in Cana. From the uh, cross gives her to us as mother. So it's this, this, this everything is, is, is a gift from our Lord. He is the one that wants us and inspires us, actually. It's a grace that comes from Him to love Our Lady and to have devotion to her and to pray to her and to... In final analysis, to imitate him, uh, when we um, when we embrace Mary in devotion, when we recognize ourselves as children of Mary, we are really only perfectly imitating Christ Himself, who was exactly that, a son of Mary, and, uh, and had love for His mother far greater than than the love we could ever have. So that's what I would say. Yeah, <laughs> praise be to God. Is it possible, like? It, in the scenario of where we go too far in our love and devotion of Our Lady, what would that even look like? Is it possible, A, and what would it look like, B? Father, what do you say? Well, uh, I'll answer that on a, a few different levels. So, uh, too much would be uh, attributing to Our Lady what God didn't give her, attributing to Our Lady graces that, in reality, God, God hasn't bestowed upon her. That would be too much. 
And you notice here that the point of reference is God. What has God done for Our Lady? Well, everything that He has done, we can and we must recognize. And no matter how much that is, recognizing it is never too much. Uh, however, if we can speak of an excess, trying to attribute to her what she's incapable of or, or what God did not bestow upon her would be too much. Now, concretely speaking, and um, this doesn't happen too often. Uh, in fact, uh, at the Second Vatican Council, and this is just a little footnote, uh, one of the theologians who intervened, he was the superior general of the Dominicans, uh, raised this exact issue. He says, you know, we're so constantly warned about attributing too much to Our Lady and being careful to attribute too much to her, but like, like who are these people? Like, who actually does this? <laughs> For example, to call Our Lady creator would be an excess because she is a creature and no creature can, um, can, can create. Uh, so that would be a clear excess, but who does that? I mean, like, <laughs> when have you ever heard any writer call Our Lady yeah. the creator? What so about, that what about mediatrics of all graces, though? Good question. So that is, um, that is clearly true for scriptural reasons. We see that clearly in scripture. For theological reasons, we see that in the theologians, and for magisterial reasons. It's not something really disputed. It's, in fact, so clearly taught by the magisterium. It's infallibly true. Now, to us, it might seem like, what? Infallibly true? I, I know so many people that question that. But the fact that people question it is not a sign that it's debated. It's a sign that it's contested. It's a sign that there's dissent from that teaching, not that it's in any way un uncertain. In Scripture, again, we see Our Lady you know, mediating graces uh, at the visitation, mediating graces in Cana. She is, in fact, the one who, so to speak, in quotes, makes the mediator. Christ himself wants his human and divine nature to be united by Our Lady. She has a, an integral motherly role there. It's, it's her job, so to speak. It's in her job description to, uh, to mediate graces. So that's not at all too much. Uh, and subsequently, the theologians have developed that, and popes and bishops around the world at all places and at all times have taught that. So it's, uh, that's, that's certainly not, not too much. Quite the contrary, it's only when we recognize Our Lady's mediation explicitly that we receive all the graces that God wants to give to us. We see that in Cana. Had Our Lady not been there, Christ would not have anticipated his hour. Mm. Because she is there, she intervenes explicitly that Christ works that miracle that otherwise, the fathers of the church say, otherwise would not have occurred. So in, in no way does she, is she like an impediment. Like, oh, we would, you know, we would have such a better relationship with God if only Our Lady wasn't there. Quite the contrary. She, she opens up for us the road to our relationship with Christ. She leads us into the depths of his heart. She introduces us into the very intimacy of the Trinity, and without her, that is simply not possible. You know, Father, I was um, thinking yeah. about this uh, topic, and I was reading the book "Mary Maximalism" by Father uh, by Doctor uh, Fleischman, that was published yeah. by um, Mary Immaculate Press and the uh, the Academy of the Immaculate. And one yes. of the things that he notes there, are, there, there's two things. One is the fact that he believes that there is no such thing as a Marian heretic; it's not possible. And he gives examples of some alleged Marian heretics, like the uh, example of a someone 
someone who deifies our lady and, and but he says well no that's not actually true they're actually replacing Venus and just adding the name of our lady there instead um, what do you say about these merry minimalists who come and say you know they they say okay well we're gonna believe the absolute bare minimum about our lady that's required that's dogmatically taught and uh, we're not gonna do anything further than that so we're not technically heretics uh, this became very popular leading up to the uh, Second Vatican Council um, and Karl Rotter the fa- is probably the most famous Mary minimalist and uh, then afterwards we see a kind of a a resurgence of that uh, up till today many many people uh, having that kind of mentality and even to the point where rosaries were forbade, forbidden in seminaries uh, so how would you respond to someone who says you know we're not we're not going to say anything contrary to the church we're just going to have the bare minimum belief about our lady how would you respond to that well, you know, I'd, uh, to add some humor to, to my response, I would say that even if you want to be a Marian minimalist, a sincere Marian minimalist, uh, you're going to be a maximalist because if you want to just recognize the bare minimum that the church has defined and the church has taught, I mean, that basically coincides with 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 maximalism. If you if, because that's exactly the point that I'm trying to make here. Everything, everything that God has has given to Our Lady just puts her in a category of her own. But to, to backtrack, so if somebody does sincerely claim to wish um, to just recognize the minimum, well, the dogmas are one thing. So there's the four Marian dogmas of Our Lady's Immaculate Conception, perpetual virginity. Uh, immaculate conception of, oh, I'm sorry, divine maternity and assumption into heaven. But besides the dogmas, there's there are other certain, even infallible teachings that have not been dogmatically defined. I mentioned the mediation of all graces. I mean, that is infallibly taught. That has to be definitively held by the faithful. Our Lady's spiritual maternity, that is to be definitively held by all the faithful as well. So there's just that problem. It's an ecclesiological problem. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's outside of Mariology. It's related to Mariology, but it's a problem that just in the 20th century the church faced on, on different fronts uh, just a rejection of the teaching authority of the church and uh, hiding behind just 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 mere dogmas no the church again definitively teaches other things that are not yet dogmatically articulated so those are the, the examples that i gave there marian co-redemption for example that could be defined as an article of faith at any moment it's so certain it's the starting point is not debate in fact, the, currently the starting point is like, wow, we are so sure that Our Lady has a, a unique contribution, a unique collaboration and redemption that, that, you know, it's just it's a question of like, when are we going to make it dogmatic? So if somebody is sincere, I would, I would point out all of that to them, that uh, the minimum is already a lot. And, um, and lastly, that if we are, again, I think I would challenge, well, maybe not challenge, invite people to a self-examination whether their minimalism is really sincere, because very frequently this minimalism is, is actually a desire for a certain independence from God, because our lady's greatness comes from where? From her total deep... Hey Donnie, when we see Christ on the cross, what do we call that? A crucifix. And who said, preach Christ and Him crucified? St. Paul. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Father John Bartunik 
in his book, The Better Part, wrote, Gratitude is one of the most beautiful flowers in the whole garden of virtues. It directly contradicts self-centeredness, self-indulgence, and self-absorption. It builds bridges, unites communities, and softens hearts. It encourages and inspires. It cuts through discouragement and counteracts depression. It opens the soul to the truth and releases anxiety. It brings smiles and gladness wherever it blooms. What a pity that it is as rare as it is lovely. When was the last time you were truly grateful to our Lord for the spouse He has given to you? When was the last time that you told your spouse you are very grateful for him or her? Gratitude goes a long way in healing wounds. Give it a try. Go home today and tell your spouse how grateful to God you are that he or she married you. This has been a minute for your marriage and family from the Three Hearts Institute. You can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I turned from a recreational drug user to a drug addict. That took me to my knees. I lost a family, almost two families. I lost friends. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. I love it. My heart's there. I took communion after 18 years, and I, the rest of the Mass I sat and cried. God restored my life. God restored my family. God restored my love. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and get signed up today. Howdy from Friendswood. I'm Leah Wynn from Mary Queen Catholic Church. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Dependence on God, total submission to God, total humility before God, which allows her to be elevated to such to such heights. It's very frequently that people perceive that, that Our Lady is this, you know, uh, just paradigm of submission to God, and it's that which they resist. They, they don't want God to be so great in their lives, hence they, they, they want to carve out an autonomy both for Our Lady from God and you know, diminish her, but for ourselves, for the Church, and for their own lives for, from God as well. So I would ask people, are you sincere, uh, or is there maybe some, some deficiency in your, in your so-called minimalism? That would be part of my answer to them. Father, I appreciate the uh, theological explanation, um, but I'm wondering, you know, I, I think as a young man, I was confused by, you know, the very many different apparitions, and seemingly from, yes. uh, I was very lukewarm, so I was looking at, from an outside perspective, people having these devotions to these particular apparitions, and it always was weird to me, but later on in life, uh, I, I, you know, started picking up the rosary and understanding the life of, of Mary. Um, how would you, what would you, what would you suggest for someone who doesn't really have a relationship with our Blessed Mother, and how do they enkindle that relationship? Got about two minutes. Okay, so I'll try to be brief. It's actually apparitions. You might be surprised to hear me say this, uh, but apparitions are one way in which we can give Our Lady too much. Uh, mm. There's a proliferation of alleged apparitions. Not all of them are approved by the Church. Some of them are actually explicitly condemned by the Church. So to hold on to an apparition that's condemned would be giving Our Lady too much because we can be sure it's not from her. Or to 
you know, even to follow an apparition that's not condemned nor approved without sufficient research, without sufficient intellectual, you know, without sufficient prudence, that might be a way to give Our Lady too much. So not all dubious apparitions are the best way to go to grow in devotion to Our Lady. Following the approved ones is, is good. Um, but to grow, we have to pray to Our Blessed Lady. That's in the words of St. Maximilian are just pray to her, uh, open your heart to her, ask her to lead you and to guide you, and in, in short time you will find yourself in a relationship with God that is just, you know, like, like, like you've never experienced. So it's, it's a question of experience, and let, let Our Lady guide you. Turn to her, pray to her, and you will find that your relationship with our Lord grows. Your identification with our Lord grows. So prayer, what kind of prayer? Of course, the Holy Rosary is the best. That's the one that Our Lady asks for. It's the one that's a meditation on the gospel and the life of our Lord. And there's no better advice that I could give. Intellectual formation, yes. So reading good, solid literature on Our Lady, devotional or theological, but without prayer, it's just going to speak to the intellect and won't, won't really move the heart. And it's the heart that Our Lady wants. We're down to just about a minute now with Father Matthias Sasko of the Franciscans of the Immaculate. Now, Father, you have you have a series of videos, sort of like a, like a school of Mary. Tell us about that and where can we find them? Oh, sure. So those can be found on uh, airmaria.com or the Franciscan Friars YouTube channel. And, yeah, it's, um, uh, it's exactly what the title indicates. It's a school of Mary, and uh, various friars hopefully will contribute to it over, over time. It's a, it's a school in which we learn to uh, know Our Lady and to love Our Lady. Mm, the okay. current uh, series is A Life of Union with Mary, so how to actually live our lives united to Our Lady. And uh, I think I'm up to six videos now. It's been, uh, there's been a long pause since the last one, but I hope to be able to continue that soon. All right. I invite everybody to see those. Praise be to God. You can find that at airmaria.com. That's air, A-I-R, airmaria.com. Father Matthias, thank you for your time today. God love you and God bless you. Uh, joining us right now by Zoom chat is Mr. Michael Whitcraft from the Tradition, Family, and Property. And good morning to you, sir. Thank you for your time. Good morning, Joe. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on your show this yeah. morning. Thank you very much for extending me the invitation. Praise be to God. We're grateful for your time. And uh, we wanted to talk about the reign of Mary, especially given, you know, Pope Francis's consecration last week and all the conversation that's been going on amongst Catholics and non-Catholics, by the way, about the consecration, about Fatima and the, uh, the miracles, the, the prophecies and all of that. But let's start with what is the reign of Mary? The reign of Mary is a time period of history that's still yet to come that was foreseen um, by many mystics in the church, approved visionaries of the church that will reach the height of Christian civilization. It will be a time of peace granted to the world, uh, as predicted at Fatima when Our Lady announced that in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. So in a nutshell, that's kind of a definition of what the reign of Mary is. It's, it's a very marvelous uh, period of history that is yet to come. You know, uh, before we get too much into the detail about it, though, uh, I am fascinated by the fact that many non-Catholics are coming to understand Fatima for the first time. And I, I can imagine, because I grew up non-Catholic, how incredibly awkward and weird and, and just surreal it must uh, seem to them to encounter that uh, you're talking the mother of Jesus appears to people on earth. Have you ever encountered that yourself and how have you handled that? You know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that I have encountered that to some extent. Uh, one of the functions I had within <clears throat> tradition, family and property, I spent about two years traveling with the statue of Fatima 
going into people's homes and discussing the Fatima message. And I took the statue into many non-Catholic homes. And it's very interesting, like you say, it's an interesting dynamic, but the evidence supporting the visions is so strong. I think almost anyone is, if they're honest with themselves, is, is obliged to accept that something very special took place. Yeah. Uh, in 1917. Yeah, I was speaking children. to my uh, cousin who's a Protestant. Um, he calls himself a Reformed Protestant. And they are, he was telling me, I was asking him about Our Lady of Fatima, and he said, well, I mean, it's clear that something happened there. I just think it was demonic because, you know, <laughs> why would uh, why would the uh, the Mother of God come down and or the Mother of Jesus come down and tell everybody to pray the rosary? That's that's horrible. How dare, how dare they? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'd like your. I think you're correct in your analysis that I mean, every nobody can deny it. I mean, something happened there. The question is, what happened, right? Absolutely, and especially if we consider the the tremendous miracle of the sun, that's the most widely witnessed miracle in the history of the church. Would you say? That, would you say that this particular miracle? I'm sorry to interrupt. Would you, would you say this particular miracle has the most evidence for it? I wouldn't say necessarily the most evidence. I would say it's the most widely witnessed. Mm. Because you consider low estimates say that 70,000 people witnessed the miracle of the sun at the spot, at the Covada Iria. Mm. And in addition to that, people up to 25 miles away witnessed this miracle. So it's a very conservative estimate to say 100,000 people witnessed the miracle on that day, uh, October 13th, 1917. I was thinking about the apparition in Egypt of... Uh, a figure hovering above the cathedral there, and I, can't, I don't know, I think it's 100,000, I don't know, I don't know the number, but it was a lot of people gathered to see that, so that's what would maybe ask the yeah. question whether or not the well, fast you could be right, you could be right, I, I've never done any in-depth studies, um, but, but from a biblical stance at least, you mm -hmm. know, the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes was witnessed by 5,000 men, and that was very, very widely witnessed. Yeah. Um, you know, you add to that women and children, maybe 12,000. So it's, it was very, very widely witnessed, and it's at least, at least one of the most widely witnessed miracles of history. Yeah, since we're going down this rabbit hole, I just thought about, well, what about the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea? or the manna come down from heaven, uh, or the split rock and the water coming out of the rock in the wilderness. I mean, some estimates I've heard as much as 600,000 people were on their journey from Egypt to Jerusalem for 40 years. So I don't know what that number really is, but I mean, it, it is fascinating to me because Fatima has such profound implications on the rest of mankind, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's an apparition in which Our Lady predicted the tragedies of the 20th century and gave the solution to them as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, the world has not wanted to heed those solutions, but she did provide us with the solutions. Yeah, for sure. We summed up in uh, prayer, penance, and amendment of life for the laity. Now, we've always, we've always heard, uh, taught, and um, said private apparitions, private revelations are not you know, we're not bound by private revelations, but would you say Fatima rises to a new level? Well, you know, I think it's interesting. We're not technically bound by private revelations, um, but I do think there's a certain level of adherence to the church. When you take an apparition, uh, for example, the sacred heart that has been approved by so many popes and has been uh, approved and, and uh, honored by so many Catholics throughout the universal church for so long, you really, you might not be technically bound, but I think there is a certain 
you have to have a very strong reason to doubt them if you're going to doubt them when they're when they've received that much church approval i'm not saying it's necessarily a sin but i don't think you're just completely at liberty to say the sacred heart is is not a valid uh devotion for example I, i don't think you have complete liberty in those matters either yeah. Mr. Michael Whitcraft is our guest. Tradition, family, and property uh, is uh, where he's from. And we're talking about the reign of Mary and Fatima in general. We have a few minutes before we go to break. So let's go back to the reign of Mary. Why Why would we not have the reign of Christ? Why the reign of Mary? Well, that's very interesting. And I think the best answer is given by St. Louis de Montfort, the great Marian apostle of the 17th century. And he was had a very prophetic mission. And his mission was to spread the devotion of total consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, consecration of a slavery of love to Mary. And he was the one who, in his prophetic vision, said that devotion of giving oneself entirely to the Blessed Mother is what will bring the, the future triumph of the church. And his message was very clear that in order for Christ to truly reign in society, the Blessed Mother has to reign, because that was the way he chose to come to the earth the first time. And he said it was also the way in which he would choose to come the second time to to figuratively reign on, on, on earth. Obviously, the kingdom of Christ is established in heaven. But the close approximation to that, the closest approximation to that that we can have on earth is a blessing he believed that God uh, reserved for his, his mother. How, and he was the one who dubbed it the reign of Mary. So how does one it. bring about the reign of Mary? How does this occur? It seems like, I mean, this is a, an idea in the mind. And uh, what brings this about? Well, obviously, no human force can bring something like that about. Um, God is the one who ultimately leads history. And he has many different ways of doing that. He raises up prophets and saints. Uh, he guides his church to triumph over the evil of, of each day. So I think when we talk about who's going to bring it about, there's no human force that can bring this about. This has to come as a result of grace. It has to come as a result of some tremendous conversion, which was also spoken about at Fatima. We have just about a minute or so from now. I I, I want to get into, but I want to wait until after the break. What does the reign of Mary look like and how we might even be able to recognize it? We're talking with Michael Whitcraft from Tradition Family of Property about the reign of Mary. You know, right now I'm going through the book Union with Mary with my family. And uh, the closer we get to the heart of Our Lady, the closer we get to the heart of her divine child, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, absolutely. When Our Lady spoke at Fatima and said, Uh, In the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. Obviously, there's a profound union between the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So much so that St. John Eudes used to refer to them as one heart. He would talk about the Sacred Heart of Jesus and Mary. So the the two are inextricably linked. You you don't bring about the reign of the Immaculate Heart without the reign of the Sacred Heart. Yes, that's true. And and Mr. Whitcraft, um, I'm wondering, you know, we have a tendency to see our time as the most important time ever because we're part of it, right? It's our experience. But um, I'm, I'm wondering, what is the correlation between Fatima and the reign of Mary? Is it something that, that we should reason should come, you know, after the consecration, like the one that just happened? Or were there other apparitions that talk about this reign of Mary? Yeah, there are many other apparitions. I Just a, a, a slight comment. It's important to remember that when Our Lady came, 
and spoke about prevent uh, in Fatima and spoke about preventing uh, all of the tragedies that were coming. She gave two tasks to humanity. Mm -hmm. One task she gave to the Holy Father, united with the bishops, with the consecration of Russia. But in the same breath, she said, to prevent this, I come to ask the consecration of Russia and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. That's kind of a hidden part of the Fatima message. So yes. Our Lady came and gave the clergy a task, but she also gave the laity a task. So before we ex expect things to be put on the right tracks, the lady have to step up to the plate mm -hmm. as well. It's not something that's just reserved for the clergy and, uh, and the Holy Father. Um, as far as other apparitions, there's many, 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 many other approved apparitions that speak about a coming triumph of Holy Church over the evils of our days. And, um, you know, I have some of them I can quote here, if you'd like. I think it might help but kind of focus exactly what you were speaking on, how, what can we expect and, and how will we know when the reign of Mary will come? We'll know the reign of Mary's here because it's going to be something that is absolutely astounding. Hmm. We'll have no question about it. Uh, to give you an example, Blessed Elizabeth Canori Mora, an Italian mystic, she said this about it. The church will again be organized, religious orders will be reestablished, the private families of ordinary Christians through their great fervor and zeal for the glory of God will become like the most exemplary religious communities. So wow. families will achieve the holiness of religious communities. She continues, such is the glorious triumph reserved for the Catholic Church. She shall be praised, honored, and esteemed by all men. All men shall become Catholics and shall acknowledge the in Romans chapter 3, it says that none is righteous and that all have sinned. But the Catholic Church teaches that Mary is without sin. How can that be? Romans 3 verse 10 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Yet James 5 16 says that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If absolutely no one is righteous, then who is James talking about? Luke chapter 1 says that Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous before God. If absolutely no one is righteous, then how can that be? Is scripture contradicting itself? No, the folks who interpret Romans as saying absolutely without exception, no one is righteous, are misinterpreting that passage. They are failing to realize that the key to understanding Romans 3.10 is the phrase, it is written. Here in Romans, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament, Psalm 14 to be exact. In Psalm 14, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. There is none that does good. But then that same psalm goes on to talk about the righteous. Well, if none has done good, who are the righteous people the psalm is talking about? Obviously, when the psalmist says that none is good, he is talking about the fools who say there is no God. He is not talking about absolutely everyone. Just so Paul, when he quotes from the psalm, Paul is not saying absolutely no one is righteous. If he was, then how do you explain all the Old and New Testament passages that refer to the righteous? In Romans 3.11, it says that no one seeks for God. Does that mean that absolutely no one is seeking God? No, to interpret it that way would be ludicrous. Just so verse 23, which says that all have sinned. Babies haven't sinned, have they? Little children haven't sinned, have they? No, this is not an absolute. There are exceptions. So it is perfectly legitimate to say that these passages from Romans, when interpreted in context, in no way conflict with the church's teaching on Mary being without sin. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Organized, religious orders will be uh, reestablished. The private families of ordinary Christians through their great fervor and zeal for the glory of God will become like the most exemplary religious communities. 
So families will achieve the holiness of religious communities. She continues, such is the glorious triumph reserved for the Catholic Church. She shall be praised, honored, and esteemed by all men. All men shall become Catholics and shall acknowledge the Pope as the vicar of Jesus Christ. That's pretty astounding. I mean, it's kind of hard to miss it if that's what what the reign of Mary is going to to be made up of. Especially given our current troubles in the church today. I mean, you have Germany with its synodal path that is literally teetering on schism and heresy and uh, and all of the experimentation uh, that goes on in, in masses all across the world that just are you know, sad to see and breaking the hearts of so many Catholics, let alone the broken family in society. I mean, how many bishops do we know of today that stand up for publicly defending traditional marriage between a man and a woman and their children? Very, very few, very, very few homilies are preached on that. And yet uh, families are broken and becoming worse every single day. So I guess this would be a very stark contrast. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because dealing with our days is very difficult for many, many different angles. But I think what touches the hearts of Catholics most is to see that the, the moral crisis of, the, of society has entered into the heart of the family and into the church as well. That's what's hardest for us to, to see. So when you see something like Blessed Elizabeth, who's talking about not just the reestablishing of holiness within the church, but also within the, the heart of the family. The family is the heart of society. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's something that's very encouraging for us to see and think about. Yes. Uh, yes. The one thing that I really find very fascinating is the fiery prayer by St. Louis de Mumford. Uh, the first time I ever prayed it, I was uh, filled with vigor because I was thinking, are these saints of the latter times, these saints that are leading to the reign of Mary are going to be the greatest saints. And I'm thinking, oh, what, what about St. Vincent Ferrer? What about Padre Pio bilocating, uh, flying, uh, levitating, raising people from the dead? And St. Louis de Mumford says that the saints of the, of, the, of the people leading towards the reign of Mary are going to be greater than the saints before. Uh, could you speak about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just he said they would be greater. He said the saints of the past would be like blades of grass compared to the cedars of Lebanon, huge trees uh, in sanctity. And I think that makes perfect sense because um, it's very widely believed that in the creed, when we pray um, at the end, he shall come again, speaking of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he shall come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. That's typically interpreted to mean that at the end of time, the saints will have achieved such a high level of sanctity and will have endured such a persecution at the hands of the Antichrist that they will be spared even having to die. They will go directly from this earth into heaven, um, being spared one of the greatest uh, effects we have of original sin. So if you consider that the reign of Mary, the saints of the reign of Mary are the ones that will lead up to these saints of the latter days, it makes sense that they would, would achieve holiness that has not been seen yet on earth, except for, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ and his blessed mother. And what does it mean to be an apostle of the reign of Mary? If you're trying to bring about or trying to move towards that, does that mean just encouraging piety? Or am I'm thinking of Christendom, like when all of society was sacral, uh, what would be, it would it just be a internal thing? The families become holier, religious orders grow, or will it actually perif- peripherate into society? 
Well, the reign of Mary will proliferate through all of society. And that's why you say, what does it mean to be an apostle of the reign of Mary? Uh, inside the TFP, if you permit me to just say a word, um, we have two ends. One is to, to fight against the moral crisis of our days, but also to work towards the establishment of the reign of Mary. And I think it's very important to understand that in addition to prayer, which is, is most important for being an apostle of the reign of Mary, in addition to sanctifying your families or our families, uh, we have to fight against what's going on in society. A lot of these errors get through because people don't stand up and say no. They don't stand up and say enough is enough. So I think we have to take a very active role in bringing that about. Get involved in traditional marriage campaigns, get involved in protesting abortion, stand up against these evils. I think that's very, very important, in addition to the more important yeah. thing, which is prayer. You know, uh, you mentioned Blessed blessed Elizabeth Kenori Mori. I love Blessed Elizabeth. Um, she is just, yeah, she's not well known. No, right. not at all. But she has an amazing story. She was such incredible. Uh, an incredible woman who put up with so much, you know, from her horrible husband, you know, yes. trying to raise uh, her daughters almost by herself with her husband. Just it was, anyway, her prophecies, though, the, the prophecies, the apparitions, the messages that came through her were startling. I mean, you talk uh, some of them was about the corruption within the cardinals that would that would uh, harm Holy Mother Church and the body of Christ. And and we're seeing that right now played out before us. So it's I think it's an important message. But I want to go back to something you said a, a while ago and that we as lay folk have our part to do from the message of Fatima. I mentioned this last week when we were talking about the consecration of Pope Francis, and you know, Our Lady of Fatima didn't ask us, lay folk, to consecrate Russia. That's the Holy Father's job. She gave us very specific things that we are supposed to do, and I would argue we don't do them en masse. I mean, some do, of course. There are very faithful souls, absolutely. But the majority of Catholics, the 1.3 billion Catholics out there, probably a small sliver, are, are doing what Our Lady asked. What did she ask us to do? Well, it's very interesting. Her, her message is contained in three requests from the laity. The first was prayer. And amongst prayer, very specifically the rosary, how many times has Our Lady appeared without mentioning the rosary in modern times? I think probably never. Uh, so she wanted uh, us to pray, uh, especially the rosary. Uh, she wanted us to do penance. And she spoke about penance uh, to Sister Lucy in a later apparition, kind of in the way of, of the little way of St. Teresa. It wasn't so much making extraordinary fasts and things like that. All that has its place and you can do that. But above all, it was to accept willingly the sacrifices, uh, the sufferings that come our way and to offer them in reparation for the sins of the world, which links very much to the first uh, five first Saturday devotion, which she mentioned specifically. Um, the third thing she asked for was amendment of life, conversion. Uh, she said very specifically, let the people stop offending my divine son, for he is already so much offended. And like you said, I don't think we, uh, we as Catholics as a whole have taken that message seriously. Uh, I read a statistic recently, I believe it's like 2 or 3% of Catholics go to confession, ever. So how many do you think are praying the rosary? And above all, how many do you think are making their first Saturday uh, devotion? Practically, practically none. Of course, as you said, there are some very outstanding uh, prayer groups and, and people who do take it seriously. But it's, I don't think it's enough of uh, enough of Catholics are doing those things. So with all the criticism, and I have been very critical of the hierarchy of the church and Pope Francis himself on, at times. Uh, and yet at the same time, if we're being honest, 
it's us that we have to really blame, and it's us that we have to really do something about. It's not so much what happens at the Vatican as much as and the, with the lay folk. Yeah, it's, it's obviously it's both, but what effect can we have on the, uh, the hierarchies role and, 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 you know, problems within the College of Cardinals, as you mes- mentioned. Um, the best thing we can do is pray and sacrifice for them, uh, re- resist them with utmost charity and respect for their office. But above all, you know, we're not responsible for what they're doing. We're responsible for what we are supposed to do and what we're doing. So that's something I agree with you. We need to take that very, very seriously and, and get our act in order. Yeah, and we have an opportunity to start this week. In fact, tomorrow is First Saturday. So if you've never been to First Saturday, let me challenge you, get up early and get over to a parish near you that's hosting a First Saturday Mass. Uh, But uh, praise be to God, we're out of time, but we're grateful to Mr. Michael Whitcraft from Tradition, Family, and Property. America needs Fatima. God bless you. God love you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me on. It was really, really a pleasure. Praise be to God. We're grateful to you. All right, let us pray to bring about the reign of Mary, which brings about the reign of her divine child. Let's go to First Saturday Masses and First Friday Masses, too, by the way. And uh, we'd be grateful for your prayers and support for what we're doing here. And we're praying for you as well. Thank you for joining us on this Feast of the Immaculate Conception show. So all Mary, all day long on the Catholic Drive Time show. But that will have to do it for today. But we'll be right back tomorrow morning with our regularly scheduled live programming, just like normal. So if you missed the game show, don't worry. We're going to be back tomorrow. And we are still giving out a prize. So make sure you have your phones ready to call in tomorrow morning to play in the game show. So everything else will be back. Back to normal tomorrow morning with the whole Catholic Drive Time team. But thank you so much for hanging out with us for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And remember, today, being the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, is in fact a holy day of obligation. So go to Mass. If you can, make it to confession. Go receive our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And have a little bit of a celebration. Eat some cake. Make a really good dinner. Let everybody know that today is in fact a special day because it is a day Our Lady was immaculately conceived in the womb of her mother Anne. Wow, what a grace. Let's meditate upon that today. Let's think about how great, how wonderful it is that our Lord has decided to give us such a great mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary. So make it to Mass and pray in thanksgiving for having Our Lady And if you can, give us a couple prayers and send them our way. All righty. God love you. God bless you. We'll see you right back here tomorrow morning at 6 6 to 8 a.m. Central, 7 to 9 Eastern. God love you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.
Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Corpus Christi, home of the Salt community. For more information, visit salt.net or ourladyofcorpuschristi.org. Today we celebrate the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. This holy sacrifice of the Mass is being offered for all those listening in on the Guadalupe Radio Network and all of our online viewers. Please stand and join in singing Immaculate Mary. Immaculate Mary, thy praises we sing. Who reignest in splendor with Jesus our King. Ave, Ave, Ave Maria. Ave, Ave Maria. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done, in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever virgin, all the angels and saints, and to you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Gloria in excelsis Deo, et in terra pax hominibus, bone voluntatis, laudamus te. Benedicimus te, adoramus te, glorificamus te, gratias agimus tibi, propter maniam gloriam tuam, domine Deus rex celestis, Deus Pater Omnipotens, Domine Filii Unigenite, Iesu Christe, Domine Deus Onius Dei, Filius Patris, Quitulis peccata mundi, miserere nobis, qui 
Petrolis peccata mundi, sushi pede precautionem nostrum, qui sedes ad exteram patris, miserere nobis, coniam tu solus sanctus, tu solus dominus, tu solus altissimus, Iesu Christe, cum sancto spiritu, in gloria Dei Patris. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who by the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin prepared a worthy dwelling for your Son, grant, we pray, that as you preserved her from every stain by virtue of the death of your Son, which you foresaw, so through her intercession we too may be cleansed and admitted to your presence. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Genesis. After the man, Adam, had eaten of the tree, the Lord God called to the man and asked him, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? You have eaten then from the tree of which I had forbidden you to eat. The man replied, The woman who you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree. And so I ate it. The Lord God then asked the woman, Why did you do such a thing? The woman answered, The serpent tricked me into it, so I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you shall be banned from all the animals, from all the wild creatures. On your belly shall you crawl, and dirt shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike at your head while you strike at his heel. The man called his wife Eve because she became the mother of all the living. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous deeds. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous deeds. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wondrous deeds. His right hand has won victory for him, his holy arm. Sing, Sing to the, to the Lord, Lord a new song, a new song for, for he has done marvelous deeds. The Lord has made his salvation known. In the sight of the nations, he has revealed his justice. He has remembered his kindness and his faithfulness toward the house of Israel. Sing, Sing to, to the, the Lord a new song, for he, for he has, has done marvelous, marvelous deeds. deeds. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation by our God. Sing joyfully to the Lord, all you lands. Break into song, sing praise. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous deeds. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Brothers and sisters, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, to be holy and without blemish before him. In love, he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, in accord with the favor of his will, for the praise of the glory of his grace that he granted us in the Beloved. In him we were also chosen, destined in accord with the purpose of the One who accomplishes all things according to the intention of his will, so that we might exist for the praise of his glory, we who first hoped in Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. morning we celebrate the beautiful solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which of course recalls that Mary was conceived in her mother's womb without sin in order to be prepared for the most glorious and special mission that any human being has ever had and ever will have, namely that Mary was to become the mother of the Redeemer. And for that reason, God the Father deemed it only fitting and appropriate that Mary would be perfectly spotless 
a perfectly pure tabernacle in order to become the dwelling place of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. I think when we look at Mary as being the paradigm of the Christian life, of course, she has a very special and utterly unique role to be the mother of the Redeemer. But in the pattern of Mary's life, we also can look and surely trust that God, too, is working in our life. Namely, to say, God had a special mission for Mary's life. He prepared Mary to be able to live and carry out that mission. And then he gives Mary the grace to be able to actually live it as it comes about in real time. My brothers and sisters, for us, I think, too, we can say, God has a special mission for our life. He has a plan for our life. And whether we realize it or are entirely aware of it or not at every moment, he has prepared us to be able to live and carry out that plan. And like our Blessed Mother, we are called to trust that he gives us the grace to prepare us and then to be able to follow through and live the plan that he has given us, that we too would become representatives and ambassadors for Jesus Christ to evangelize and that we would live the specific mission that he has given us. And so today, as we go forward, let us ask God through the intercession of our Blessed Mother that we would always fully trust in the love of our Father in our life, that we would fully trust that he has a plan for our life, that he has prepared us for this plan, and that we can indeed carry it out with the help of his grace. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and for all bishops for their physical and spiritual well-being. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and the courage and perseverance to unite their sufferings with Christ on the cross. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our family, friends, and benefactors, for all those who have asked for our prayers, for those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Media, and for all those enrolled in the Sold Mass Association. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And we pray in thanksgiving for the powerful intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary in our lives. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the grace that we would always trust God in all circumstances and in all matters of our life, to trust that he is leading and guiding us to our salvation. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And for those intentions that we hold in our heart, We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. 
Amen. Our offertory song is Sing of Mary, Pure and Lowly. Sing of Mary, pure and lowly, Virgin Mother undefiled. Sing of God's own Son, most holy, who became her little child. Fairest child of fairest mother, God the Lord who came to earth, Word made flesh, our very brother, takes our nature by his birth. Sing of Jesus, Son of Mary, in the home at Nazareth. Toil and labor cannot weary, love enduring unto death. Constant was the love he gave her, though he went forth from her side, forth to preach and heal and suffer, till on Calvary he died. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. Graciously accept the saving sacrifice which we offer you, O Lord, on the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and grant that as we profess her on account of your prevenient grace to be untouched by any stain of sin, so through her intercession we may be delivered from all our faults through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just. Our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for you preserve the most blessed Virgin Mary from all stain of original sin, so that in her endowed with the rich fullness of your grace, you might prepare a worthy mother for your Son and signify the beginning of the Church, his beautiful bride without spot or wrinkle. She, the most pure virgin, was to bring forth a son, the innocent lamb, who would wipe away our offenses. You placed her above all others to be for your people an advocate of grace and a model of holiness. And so, in company with the choirs of angels, we praise you 
and with joy we proclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenis uncelia terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess and your resurrection, resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Peace. On you stay. Qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, Dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, Lord I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Our communion song is O Sanctissima. O Sanctissima, O Pissima, Dulcis Virgo sacrament we have received, O Lord our God, heal in us the wounds of that fault from which in a singular way you preserved Blessed Mary in her immaculate conception through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Salve Regina. 
Mater Misericordiae, vita dulce, et spes nostra salve, a te clamamus, exules filieve, a te suspiramus, gementes et flentes, Inac lacrimarum vale, ea ergo, arvocata nostra, ilus tuos, misericordes oculos, ad nos converte, et Iesum, benedictum fructum ventris tui, Nobis post hoc exilium ostende, o clemens, o pia, o dulcis virgo maria. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee. Hey, I'm Hallie from St. Edward Youth Group.